If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We are beginning our summer series in which we're going to go through the parables. This will actually last us all the way through August. Uh, we'll be looking at a different parable every week. Um, and first parable we are going to look at is the parable of the sower. Uh, and I chose this for uh, a number of reasons. Uh, the main reason being this is I personally needed it. I needed to read and to study and to hear from the parable of the sower because predominantly what this story is about is listening to God, drowning out the other voices and finding place in your heart where you give your time and your energy and your devotion to listening to God's word because that's something that I have needed. Uh, I don't know about you, but it sounds like um, or it feels like you're being bombarded uh, with so many voices right now. Um, I am being given so many things to read that if I were to try to read half of these things, it would take me the rest of my life to read. Uh, just even after um, I made that video a couple of weeks ago, uh, the response of that has been enormous. Um, I've received many emails um, thanking Redeemer and the stance that we've had. I've received other emails that have just had the heading angry at Redeemer. Um, I've received uh, a number of emails saying that if you read nothing else, read this. Um, and, uh, or I've received posts forwarded to me saying, I never post anything political, but this one thing here you need to be sure to read. Uh, I've been given all these books to read, articles to read, and then I've been asked to say things, to comment on things. Read this petition. Tell us if you agree with it. Read about this campaign. Tell us if you side with them or not. Um, read about uh, whatever it is. Tell me what you think about Chris Hodges. Um, I've had people call and say, if you support Chris Hodges, you're no longer my friend. Or if you don't support Chris Hodges, you're no longer my friend. People wanting to hear from me, people sending all of these things for me to read. It's, it's good for us, church, to stop and to remind ourselves of the voice that matters. To remind us of primarily who we go to, what words we go to, to instruct our lives and where we find life. This parable is about that. The ending of the parable gives away the beginning, what it's all about. If you have ears, let them hear. Second reason I wanted to preach on this parable is because Jesus, he teaches 40 different parables and only on two of them does he actually give a detailed explanation of what it means. I wanted to make sure that I at least assigned myself those two parables and I assigned the other pastors the rest. Uh, I, I wanted to be clear on what these parables mean. Um, and the final reason is this. The parable of the sower is the parable about how we are to read the parables. It's the key to unlocking all of the other parables. The parables are like a seed that come to us. And will they grow or will they not? And so let's read this parable, Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. 
And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Go to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. And pray with me. Lord, we pray that your word would fall to us like a seed. And so, Spirit of God, you would prepare the soil of our hearts to receive that seed so that it might grow and bear fruit. I pray that my words might fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So when Jesus went around teaching, he would often teach using parables. Uh, we might be tempted to call these illustrations, um, but we would be wrong. An illustration typically comes after a preacher has already done some teaching. He's already made a point, And in order to clarify that point, he then comes up with this illustration or this metaphor. Um, but it's a way of anchoring in that teaching. But with Jesus here, stand... Often these parables are given with no teaching at all. They stand alone, um, often like a riddle. And more than not, when Jesus would teach, he would use really common imagery, very simple things to teach eternal truths. His stories were filled with images that people saw every day, maybe things from nature or from an occupation. So he would talk about a mustard tree or a fig tree, or a wedding, or a banquet, or a woman kneading dough. Or perhaps he would talk about someone threshing wheat, or a sower sowing a seed. And the reason that Jesus would use such common imagery was so that every time after you left him, every time you would see that image, you'd be reminded of what he said. And you would begin to chew on his words once again pondering them. Like a seed, they would begin working in you. Everywhere you looked, you would be reminded of something eternal now. Uh, the parable that we have in front of us would have been a very common scene. 
It's of a sower just scattering seed, something everybody had seen during this day. Today, if Jesus was teaching this, he might say something as mundane as this. A man sat down to write an email. Uh, And in this email, he wrote a church newsletter, which some just ignored. Some just glanced at. Uh, Some read it alongside something else that they were reading, and eventually that other thing got more of their attention. But some, some read that email carefully, and it bore much fruit. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus, he, he talked about very simple things like this. But in order to get us thinking, thinking about the eternal, the parable of the sower that we have in front of us is about one of the most complicated parables that Jesus gives. And it is actually fairly simple. There's only three different elements to it. There's the sower, there's the seed, and there's the soils. So let's take time to look at each three of these elements. The sower. When Jesus was asked to explain this parable, he calls it the parable of the sower. I'm pretty sure this is the only parable that Jesus himself actually names. And the name is, actually, is, is fairly significant. It's actually odd that he would call it the parable of the sower. You would expect him to call it the parable of the soils because the soils are the only variable in the story. The sower doesn't change. The seed doesn't change. It's the soils that change. And so you would expect him to call this the parable of the soils, but he doesn't. It's the parable of the sower. Jesus himself, of course, is the sower, the one who brings to us the word of the kingdom. And Jesus wants us to know at the start of this that he is the center of this story. Jesus is always the main character. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Just as we looked at last week, there is a narrative or a story that is being told. And don't ever forget that Jesus is at the center of it. The most important part of this story is that Jesus comes and he gives to us words that will result in life. Now let's look at the seed. Jesus explains that the seed is the word of the kingdom. The seed was a common image that Jesus would use to describe both the word of the kingdom and the kingdom itself. He's going to use this in the next parable, and then the one after that, and then the one after that. He'll say things like this in verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed in which a man took and he sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. And it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. The kingdom of heaven and the word of the kingdom come to us like a seed. The seed-like nature of the kingdom is important for us to understand. Uh, Because I have found that most people outside of the church, most non-Christians, when they describe Christianity, they don't think of Christianity like a seed. 
They think of Christianity as often it's described as some philosophical set of ideas that someone might find helpful or maybe even therapeutic. Or perhaps they describe Christianity as a belief system in which you can uh, gain a set of morals. Or Christianity is a certain set of facts that somebody needs to believe about a man named Jesus. But Jesus says it's like a seed. A seed is a powerful new life that's packed into a small kernel. A powerful new life that's packed into a small kernel. A a seed might be small, but it's organic. An organic power comes from this, and it grows. And Jesus is teaching us something about the nature of the word of the kingdom of God. When the gospel came to us, it didn't just come to us in words. There was a power that came with it. A power Yes, the gospel did, of course, come to us through words. Words had to be used, but along with those words, there was an organic power in it. Which is why Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 4 that the kingdom of God does not exist in words, but in power. Christianity is a power that comes into your life. But it's not a power like dynamite. It's not a power like TNT. It's it's not flashy. It's not explosive. It's a slow-growing, organic power resulting in new life. I'm actually going to use a little illustration here. I, I never use props, but can any of you actually see this in the back? If you can't, that's my point, all right? Uh, this is a seed, Um, It's a little cone. It's from the largest tree in the world, uh, a giant sequoia in Sequoia National Forest. It comes from the largest tree there. Um, The tree is over 20 stories tall. Um, The tree is 38 feet in diameter, 52,000 cubic feet in that tree. And yet you look how it began as the tiniest of seed. And actually the seed is is embedded deep within this cone. But you give it a couple thousand years, the power in this seed grows and grows to become something so large. Paul said in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the what? It is the power He doesn't say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is a helpful philosophical construct. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I find it a useful set of facts in which I could base a certain morality. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power. Is the power is in it. It's the power of salvation. Jesus says that the word of the kingdom comes to us in a seed which is a small kernel packed with organic power. So how do you know if you are a Christian or not? Well, there needs to be something in your life that you cannot explain apart from the power of God coming in and growing it in you. Perhaps you you couldn't forgive people before, but now a power has come into your life and now you can forgive. 
perhaps you couldn't be generous before, but you were always holding on to your money, but now a new power has come in and set you free from those material things. Perhaps you were so angry before, but a power has come in and has given you love and forgiveness. It's an unexplained by the world power. Something inexplicable is happening in your life. And we call that the word of the kingdom or the gospel coming in in power. And I would say that actually the slow growth is part of the power. If you were to get a hammer and you were to go outside your house to the sidewalk that's there, and you were to strike that sidewalk with a hammer, likely all you're going to hurt is your wrist. Um, if you hurt, if you, you know, as hard as you can, you hit it, you might get a crack. But if you get a little acorn and you plant it right next to it and you wait 50 years, you get crestwood, all right? You, you get nothing but sidewalks that have been broken up and ripped and they're distorted because there's an unbelievable power in there that's released over time. The gospel comes to like this. If it takes root, it will grow in power and bear fruit. So that's the seed. Let's look at the soils. We have four different types of soils, but really the difference between all of them is how much they allow the seed to penetrate. Each soil allows the seed a different level of penetration. The deeper the seed goes, the longer it lasts and the more fruit it brings. I'm only going to make a comment or two about each one of these soils. So much could be said about them, but these are the things that we chew on as we go. So just a comment or two about each. Let's look at the soil of the path. The first soil is described as a path. Jesus explains that the seed falling on a path is like someone who doesn't understand the word of the kingdom. And the devil comes in like a bird and just snatches that seed and goes off with it. So what is a path? Well, a, a path is a place where people walk. The dirt of a path, its main task is receiving feet, not receiving seeds. A path receives the activity of people. It's not open to receiving what a sower actually has to offer it. A path says, why would you read your Bible? Why would you read your Bible when you can read about all the activity that is going on in this world? You can read everything you need to know in the latest newspaper. You can read about what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is saying, because those things are far more important than what someone said 2,000 years ago. A path is hardened, and it finds its shape by receiving the masses. And so when the word of God falls on it, it can't even penetrate the rocky soil. Next, Jesus tells us about the seeds that fell on the rocky soil. This is the one who hears the word of God, immediately receives it with joy, but has no roots. 
And when trials and persecution comes, uh, this person immediately falls away. Uh, This is the quick start. You know the quick start, the one who just immediately jumps in, embraces it, I'm all in, and then they're gone in a week. There's not a lasting power there. This person here receives the, person, receives the gospel with, with joy. They had a joyful conversion. And Jesus here, he's saying a joyful conversion is no indication of a Christian that will last. The rocky soil represents this person who makes this dramatic, immediate, purely emotional decision to follow Jesus. But then they fall away. Uh, There's nothing wrong with having a dramatic emotional testimony. I mean, you know, we share testimonies all the time at Redeemer. And, you know, you, you hear... You hear the stories about the, you know, the person who is uh, living an open life of rebellion, maybe a, a drug addict, uh, maybe ran away from their home, maybe was about to jump off a bridge, and right before they did, the voice of the Lord comes down, completely changes them, and you're like, my testimony is so boring. You, you, you want something like that. You want something big and dramatic. You want that type of conversion. But Jesus here, he's saying there's actually a danger in something like that. There's a danger that people can put their faith in their conversion and not their their faith in God himself. Their faith is dependent upon a feeling. Jesus here is saying growing roots is what matters. Growing roots is how you get a faith that lasts. Over the years, I have notice that often it's the most enthusiastic of converts that have the hardest time keeping the commands of Jesus. Because keeping the commands of Jesus is not nearly as fun as accepting the benefits of forgiveness or the benefits of gaining a church family. And so when persecution or trials come, they find they just cannot endure it. Let's look at the thorny soil. The thorny soil represents the one who hears the word of the kingdom, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke it out. So this soil here, it actually allows for a deeper level of penetration than than those other two, which barely scrape the surface. This one allows for a deeper level of penetration, which results in it actually growing. However, as it is growing what we find is that there is something that has deeper roots in this soil. Something has deeper roots, and it begins to choke the life out of the word. This is the person who knows the gospel, who can explain it, perhaps even defend the gospel, and is in many ways growing. Yet there's something in his or her heart that actually has found a deeper root. And a soil's only got limited nutrients. A soil cannot support both of these things over time. At first, it looks like it can because they're both growing up. But eventually, whichever plant has the deeper roots is going to win out. It's going to gradually choke out the other plant. You can't help but hear Jesus' words. You cannot serve two masters. There can only be one. 
You only have a limited time of inner time and a limited amount of energy. You can either give that to listening to God's word, deeply rooting yourself in God's word, or you can spend your time listening to everything else. Even something else that's good, I would say that's even gospel-like, can grow to a point where it chokes out the gospel. This soil is warning us here that if we allow some things to get entangled in the gospel, eventually they will grow to replace the gospel. We've seen this played out through some of the most um, liberal denominations we have within the Protestant church. I won't name those denominations. You know who they are. Many of these denominations used to preach a clear gospel, used to preach sermons centered on the word of God, but then they allowed some issues, something that was gospel-like, to get entangled with their message. And then over the years, it choked out the word of God. Happened gradually. And what we've seen in denominations, we have certainly seen with people. Um, theologian, pastor, and an elder of a church in California, Dale Bruner. Um, he's one of my favorite commentators and scholars, and he writes by far, I believe, the best commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it's a two-part commentary. He wrote it 15 years ago. And he said this. He goes, the thorny soil often looks like issue-centered Christianity where your Christianity all of a sudden becomes about one issue. And it could be a variety of issues. Um, you become anxious about this. This is the cares of the world. It's one of the anxieties. You become anxious about helping the poor. You could become anxious about fighting abortion. You could become anxious about ending racism. You can have a theological anxiety in which you're anxious that people come to know Calvinism. You're anxious that everybody learns to speak in tongues. It becomes the issue, though, for you. And you just keep feeding that one issue at the exclusion of everything else. And you begin to choke out the very gospel you believed. Not immediately, but over time. Eventually, you find that your identity is no longer in what Christ has done for you, but in all that you are doing supposedly for him. The final soil, the good soil. Uh, this is the one that hears the word of the kingdom. He receives it and he allows the roots to go deep. This is the one who takes time to listen to the word of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus ends this parable with a plea to hear. If you have ears, please listen to this. He ends almost all of his parables this way. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus is saying, above all else, listen to my words. Church, I've mentioned this at the start of this, but everything is vying for our attention. Many good things, many worthwhile things, but do not think for a moment that they share equal footing with the word of God. Those cannot be the primary things that shape us. We go to the word of God 
And we hear His Word and we receive His Word. And like a seed, it grows into us and grows and bears fruit. God's Word stands supreme. Think of the things in the past weeks, months, and years that have shaped the way that you spend money, has shaped the way you think about your neighbor, shaped the ways you think about politics, shaped the ways you think about decorating your home, the way you view money. Where did those influences primarily come from? Jesus is saying, be shaped by my word and allow it primacy in your life. And it will grow and bear fruit. It might not be flashy at first, but there is a power in it. Only one of these soils produces fruit. Fruit is the end goal of all of this. Obedience, joyful obedience to our Lord, I would say, is the goal of all of this. But it comes from listening to his word. Pray with me, church. Father, we thank you for your word. It comes to us like a seed. It could be so easily overlooked. It could be seen as so unimportant. It could be seen as there's no real power in it. He who has ears, let him hear. May we receive your word and allow that power in our lives to grow and to grow and bear fruit. Joyful fruit, not just for us, but for this entire world. May we be a people shaped by your word. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.